0: So we are in Philippians chapter 1, and we've made it all the way to verse 9. Amazingly, we've made it to verse 9, and so we're going to look at verses 9 through 11 of Philippians chapter 1 today, and uh, why don't we do something we haven't done in a while? Why don't we stand as we read the Word of God today? I think that's something that's always good to do, especially when we have a shorter passage like we have today, and uh, I'm reading from the ESV. If, you're, if you have the ESV and want to read along with me, you're welcome to do so. If you have another version you want to read along with me, that's fine too. God will make it all line up. It'll be close enough anyway. So Philippians chapter 1 and verse 9. It says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with all the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it is a supreme treasure in our lives. Lord, though uh, it is that treasure, oftentimes we don't treasure it the way that we should. But Lord, we are here today to hear your word. We're here today to hear from you. Lord, we thank you that your word is, it is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. It leads us. It guides us. It helps us. So Lord, I pray as we study, as we spend time in your word, as we walk through these verses today, Lord, that you would speak to your people, your people that have gathered here today to hear from you. Open up our ears to hear. Open up our hearts to receive. I pray that the words that we hear today wouldn't just be you know, a few minutes and then we go all about our lives, but Lord, that, that there would be spiritual uh, nourishment, that there would be an infusion, Lord, of, of, of your spirit and your life into our lives and that we would bear good fruit for you and for your kingdom, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. You may be seated. If you would flip over just a couple pages to the right to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3, 16. This is a passage that is very familiar. We reference it often. Let's start at verse 15. He's writing to Timothy. He says, From childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped, competent for every good work. This passage tells us here in 2 Timothy that the the, the scriptures, the the sacred writings, that that the the Bible, it is not just the words of men. Amen? It is the word of God. It says it is breathed out by God. That's a, a word that is a compound word in the Greek. It's theanoustos. It's a word that theologians believe that the Apostle Paul actually invented as he combined two words, God and breathe, to describe the Scriptures. That the Scriptures truly is inspired by God. It's it's breathed out by God. And that's something that we hold on to as as we read through the Word of God, as we know that this is what the Word of God teaches about the Word of God. As confessing Christians, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Uh, But sometimes you come across a passage that that just leaps off the page, that that the Holy Spirit just breathes on as you read it. And and with new clarity and with new understanding, a a scripture will be so impressed upon your heart so deeply. It just serves as a vivid reminder again that truly these aren't just the words of men, but these truly are the inspired word of God. Have you ever had that happen? Where, where, Where the word of God just... It impacts you in such a profound way that that it's not just like any other book. It it truly is God speaking to us, the inspired Word of God. And and such is the passage that we're looking at today, these three simple verses from Philippians chapter 1. I've read these three short verses countless times in my life, more times than I can remember But this week, as I took time to specifically study and and look at them, something that just became so obvious to me once again is that there is so much going on here that we see that, that is going on beneath the surface than just the surface of what's happening. And so I want to highlight this for you today. On the surface, of course, we see that the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the Philippians, these These Christians in Philippi that he holds in his heart that he loves so dearly and he's praying for them and he wants to encourage them. And he writes this short, simple prayer, three verses in our Bible, takes 20 seconds to read this, this 22nd verse. That's what's happening here on the surface, this little prayer. But there's so much going on here more than this simple little prayer contained in this short 20-second prayer is actually the whole Christian life. The whole Christian life is contained in these short three verses. All of it, for all of us. Your whole Christian life is here. Though it's only 55 words in English, there's an explosive amount of glorious truth contained within it. And I'm not overhyping this. I'm, I promise you, and you'll see as, as we begin to walk through this, that the whole of the Christian life is in these three verses. In fact, I would say if you ever find yourself without bearing in your walk with God, if ever the circumstances of life are overwhelming and, and you find yourself disoriented in your walk with the Lord, come back to Philippians chapter 1 verses 9, 10, and 11. And after we walk through the part we're gonna walk through today and over the next several weeks as we unpack this, come back to this passage and it will reground you. It will reestablish you. It will help you to walk out your Christian life where you are at. You might be wondering to yourself, are we talking about the same verses that we read at the beginning? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. And so let me highlight something for you. I want you to notice the progression that happens here. There's seven points in this prayer. Seven points that we're going to walk through together. I wanted to show you this progression. He is praying for them. So that's the surface level. Paul is praying for them. Praying that they would abound in love. But look look at this progression. Number one, that they would abound in love more and more. And that this love, that secondly, would come with knowledge and discernment. That they would grow in knowledge and discernment. Knowledge of God, discernment of what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is evil. That that discernment would lead them so that they may approve in their lives what is excellent. For them to know what is right and wrong, what to approve of in their life as excellent... They first have to be filled with knowledge. They first must have discernment. And first, that starts with love. Fourthly, that would cause them then to be, live a life that is pure and blameless. Fifthly, making them ready for the day of the Lord, making them ready for when Christ returns. Number six, that when Christ returns, they will have been filled now with all of the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, and then finally all of this culminates to the praise and the glory of God. This is the whole entire Christian life right here. All of it. The goal and aim of all of our lives as believers is that we would bring glory to God. That's the goal of our life. That's the aim of our life as Christians. And and this is the progression that one step leads to the other and leads to the other and leads to the other and leads to the other. We were created, all of humanity was created in the image of God. We were meant to reflect the nature and the character of God. And by so doing, we would bring God glory. To bring God glory is the purpose of humanity. Now, we can't do that on our own. We can't do that without Christ because sin has entered into the world. The, the image of God has become distorted in our life. And so we, we are now, though, who have put our faith in Christ, we have the nature and character of Christ as being birthed in our lives so that we would live out our created purpose to bring honor and glory to the Lord. This is a seven-step progression of the whole of the Christian life. And so let's look at this first point uh, here together. Let's look at this uh, point number one. He says that you would abound in love more and more. That your love may abound more and more. What does this word abound mean? This, This word abound means that their love would be overflowing. That they would be filled with love and then filled with love some more so that their love would just overflow, would, would be flow out from them. Have you ever, uh, the other day I was um, working out in the yard and I was very thirsty and I asked one of my kids to go get me a drink of water. And they ran inside and, and we have this water machine that just spits out nice, ice cold, pure water. And when you've been working in the lawn, in the Texas sun, there's nothing more than you want than a nice, cold drink of pure, cold water. Amen? And so I don't remember which one of my children I sent in, but I sent one of them in to go and get me a cup of water, and they came out, and they had a nice big cup, but they had filled it up about this much. <laughs> and that, that was nice. I appreciated it, but it wasn't enough. I needed more. And so I, said, I drank it and I said, thank you very much. Now, go and fill it up to the top, please. Make it overflow. Don't make a mess. But I, I, want, I want more. I want more. And, and the love of God should be that way in our lives. Romans chapter 5 verse 5 says that God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The love of God. You see, part of the problem with us understanding what it means to be overflowing with love is that we truly do not, in our culture, in the world today, we truly do not know what love is. What love is. We don't know what love is. What the world thinks of as love is not what the Bible is talking about as love at all. At all. The Christian life is actually birthed in love. Birthed in love. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him should not perish but have eternal life. The the Christian life is birthed in love, birthed in God's love for us. If you flip back a couple pages, I don't remember where you're at, but if you flip back a couple pages to Ephesians chapter 2, talking about the love of God, talking about how the Christian life is birthed in the love of God. And if we're going to be filled with love, abounding in love that that overflows more and more, we we first have to know what love is. We first have to understand how how the whole of the Christian life has been birthed in God's love. Otherwise, we're going to be trying to do something. We're going to be setting our target, our focus, our aim uh, on the wrong thing. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, Because of sin, all of humanity was dead... In the trespasses of our sins. Now he's talking to believers, and so he says, in which you once walked. That's past tense. Amen. We, we used to walk in sin. Right? That, that's in the rearview mirror. We were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked. Following the course of the world, following after the pattern of of what the world presents. How many of you know that the world has a plan for your life? Amen. The the world has a, a, a path. The world has a way to follow it. Jesus came, he said, broad is the path that the world presents. And that path leads to what? Destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And few find it, he said. What is that way that leads to life? There's only one way. It's Jesus Christ. He says, we used to follow the course of this world, following after the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil himself. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, dead in sin, blind to the things of God, following not Christ and His way, but following Satan and the path of sin, And because of that, objects of God's wrath. The holiness of God on display. But how many of you are thankful that it doesn't end there? Verse 4 says, but. I, I love when there's just a lot of bad news, but then comes the but. But God. But God, being rich in mercy because of, what? The great love with which he loved us. Even while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches, immeasurable riches of his grace. Not a grace that can be measured, not a grace that is, it can, can be quantified, not a grace that you can put any kind of number on. No, God's grace is immeasurable. It's impossible to fathom the depths of the grace of God, that God is putting that on display but God, and I think that's for every single one of us, that's our testimony here today, amen? I was lost, I was blind, I was sick, I was dead in my sins, I was headed on a path of destruction, I was headed to a a lifeless, loveless existence of separation from God, but God, but God, being rich in mercy, Because of His great love towards us, even while we were dead in sin, even while we were still sinners, He died for us. Amen. Even while we were dead in sin, He has made us alive in Christ. But God, the whole of the Christian life is birthed in the love of God, the love of God. And so when it's talking here about abounding more and more in your love, it's talking about this kind of love, the love that God has shown to us. Flip over, I told you we're gonna look at a lot of verses today, so flip over to uh, 1 John chapter 4. If, If we're going to understand what love is, we cannot take our cues from the culture we cannot take our cues from what we see on display around us in the world. If we're going to understand love, it has to come from the Word of God. It has to. Otherwise, it's going to be totally off the mark and totally skewed. First John, if you're still looking for it, go, go all the way to the end of the book, "Revelation," and then start going back a little bit, and you'll get to, to First John. The love of God, 1 John chapter 4. It says, because we have been loved by God, starting in verse 18, we're not afraid of God anymore. There's no fear in love. We're not, we, we, there, we are not afraid of the wrath of God. Amen? We have a confidence, we have a a surety. and, And we looked at that last week as the Apostle Paul said, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. We have this confident assurance. And so here he says, there's no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Jesus took upon us the punishment that we deserved for our sins. So, there is no more punishment for us because of sin. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 there's now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, we, there's no more fear in love. We can approach God uh, with, with, with uh, uh, boldness, the, the Bible says. We can boldly approach his throne of grace. Whoever fears has not yet been perfected in love. But verse 19 says, We love. Because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. So our love that we have, the love that is in our hearts, it is a response to this great love that God has shown us in Christ. If you go up a few verses to to verse 9, 1 John 4, 9, it, it describes the love of God. Actually, the end of verse eight says, "God is love." That's probably the most used and abused verse today. That people throw that out all the time. God, well, God is love. God is love. God is love. I wish that they would just keep going on that verse. Don't stop it. First John four eight. Go into First John four nine. Most of the time when people are saying God is love, what they're really saying is that that love is my God. And the way I define love is the God that I am serving with my life. That's usually what is meant when that verse is thrown around in in modern parlance, in in our common uh, language today. When that verse is thrown out, it's usually thrown out as an attack on Christians because there's some, they're leveling some sort of accusation that Christians are not being loving, not according to the word of God, but according to their own definition and standard of love, which they themselves have made their God. Does that make sense? God is love. Well, what is love? Well, wh- what does it look like? Verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. The the love of God has been put on display. The love of God has been demonstrated and showcased in this one thing so that we can know exactly what love is. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means atoning sacrifice. It means that Jesus on the cross took our place, took our punishment, that the sin that we committed was laid upon Him and the righteousness that He uh, contained within Himself has now been placed upon us. That God's anger towards sin, God's wrath towards sin, the punishment and the penalty that sin deserves because the wages of sin is death, that we have sinned against a righteous and holy and eternal and all-powerful God. And all of that was poured out on Christ on the cross for us, for those who have put their faith in Him. And that is love. That is love. Amen that God sent His Son and that the Son was willing to go to the cross, to die, to endure, to persevere because of love. That's what love is. The word love is defined by the cross of Christ. You cannot know what love is without knowing the cross of Christ. And you cannot know the cross of Christ and what it means without the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon your heart that you have sinned against a righteous and holy God. And so there are so many people today who who want to talk about love, who want to say that love is the answer. And yes, love is the answer, but not a love that is devoid of the holiness of God, not a love that that is emptied and hollowed out of the sinfulness of man not a love that has nothing to do with the Son of God. God become flesh, perfect, sinless life, dying on the cross, offering up His life to the Father in love so that we, who were enemies of God, who were rebellion, who had rebelled against God, could be made sons and daughters of God so that our created purpose of bringing glory to God could be manifest. You see, we cannot bring glory to God. We, we can't live a life that brings praise and glory to God apart from the saving work of Christ. We're enemies of God. The only, this is going to mess with some of you, but we taught Romans chapter 9 in KBI last week. You can go read it and it will mess with you. But the only way God is glorified in a sinner is in the demonstration of His holiness and wrath against sin towards that sinner. So the only way God can be glorified in a sinner is through His punishment of sin, through demonstrating His holiness and righteousness against sin. See, all of humanity will fulfill their created purpose. All of humanity will bring glory to God. Those of us who have been reconciled to God in Christ will bring glory to God through the work of Christ, through the redemption of Christ, through the life that we now live to the praise and glory of God. Those who have rejected Christ, their lives will demonstrate the glory of God in His holy, righteous anger against sin. All of humanity will bring glory to God. I told you that would mess with some of you. Let's get back on stuff that we like. Let's get back on some more feel-good things this morning. Love is made manifest at the cross. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but but that God loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice of our sin. Paul prays that your love would abound more and more. Flip over to Matthew chapter 22. I could, I could just quote these verses to you from heart, but I think there is value in you seeing it and in reading the word of God for yourself. And it gives me an opportunity to get a sip of water too. and have it go down the wrong pipe. Matthew chapter 22. Verse 34, it says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, and so they gathered together and one of them a lawyer asked Jesus a question to test him a lawyer is not just a guy who you know it's not the texas hammer that sues people who get in fender benders this is a an expert in the law of god an expert in in the mosaic law someone who has spent their whole life devoted themselves to studying the law of god and so he asks Jesus a question not to gain further insight and understanding, but to put God in the flesh to the test. Verse 36, he says, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. The greatest commandment is that we would love God. That we would love God. Not in word, not in lips, not just paying God lip service. Jesus, actually, his great, uh, one of the great condemnations he spoke against the people of his day is, he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Loving God is more than saying, I love God. He goes on to quantify the love that we are to have for God by saying that we would love God with all our hearts, that's all of our affections, that we would not place our affections on uh, other things or or even other people above God, that God is, is number one in our affections, that we would love God with all of our soul that's our mind our will and our emotions and that you would love the Lord your God with all of your mind all of your mind that's with your thoughts the thoughts that you think are the thoughts that you think are they dominated with thoughts of God do you think on the things of God the ways of God, the work of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or do you find that the majority of your thoughts are placed on other things? If they are placed on other things, you are not loving the Lord your God with all of your mind. There are certainly things that we have to think about. But even in the the other things that we have to think about, they should still be subject to God himself. That in the other things of life that we do and must do to live in this world, that we do all and and think all and, and every act that we take, every thought that we think, every word that we speak is in subject to the lordship of Christ. The lordship of Christ. And so yes, we must go to the grocery store. Yes, we must do our lawn. Yes, we must, you know, the stuff of life, take our car to the shop. But in those things, are you doing them in such a way that you are submitted to the Lordship of Christ, that you are honoring God in those things? The book of Colossians says, Whatever you do, do to the glory of God. But it's not just love for God. He goes on to say, And the second greatest commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law And the prophets. And so it's it's not just love for God, it's also love for others. And and remember that this love that God has for us, it's the word in the Greek, it's agape love. This word that they're talking about, it is a a a word that is put, it is it is made manifest, it is described to us by the cross. And so it is not a self serving love. It's not a love that says, if if you do the right things for me, I'll take pleasure in you. No, it's a love that is based on the cross. It is a love of commitment. It is a love of covenant. It is a love that is not self-serving, but is self-sacrificing. Not a love simply based on feelings and emotions, though there's certainly emotion connected to it, But emotions, the way we feel, is not the basis for this love. You have to understand that. When the world talks about love, it's talking about a feeling, a feeling, those butterflies in your stomach. You remember the way you felt a hundred years ago when you first started dating your wife or your husband? Do you remember those feelings? Listen, most people end up leaving their relationship because they don't feel that way anymore. Love is not feelings. Feelings come and feelings go. My feelings are based on external circumstances most times. The other day, I don't remember what we were doing. We were, we were traveling. We were, we were going on a, on a, on a trip. And um, it had, we didn't eat breakfast. And I think I ate peanuts for breakfast. And... Um, it was like 1 or 2 o'clock before we finally ate, and, and we ate. And I told Heather, man, I feel good right now. My, it's amazing how, how happy I am and how much easier I am to get along with after I eat. It's, I'm a different person. I'm a new man. Our, our feelings are based on so many insignificant and inconsequential things. Love is not a feeling. The love that the Bible talks about, this agape love that comes from God that has been poured out on us, that we are now instructed and commanded to walk in towards God and towards others. It's not a feeling. Paul is not writing to the Philippians and saying, I wish that you had better feelings for one another. No, he's writing to them and he says, I pray that your devotion to God, that your commitment to God, that your unwavering love for Him, that it would grow, that it would overflow, that it would abound more and more, and that it wouldn't just be, be between you and God, but that it would spill out, that it would overflow onto others, not feelings, but com- not just feelings, but commitment, devotion, self-sacrifice to God and to others. that is what love is. That is what love is. Amen. If you flip back to me one more time, this this will be be the last one, I promise. I'm giving your fingers a workout uh, today. 1 John 4. Go back to 1 John 4. I should have told you to stay there. 1 John 4. We read verses 9 and 10. But now look at verse 11. Beloved, if God has so loved us, we ought also to love one another. If time permitted this morning, I would take us to Luke chapter 10, which is the story of the Good Samaritan. I'll give you some homework this week. Go and read Luke chapter 10, the story of the Good Samaritan. But if we want to know what love is, if if we want to experience love, the fullness and the depths of love, and God wants that for us, we have to look to the cross. We have to look to the cross. The cross is where the love of God takes on its fullest and most clear picture for us. The cross is where the love of God and the justice of God meet fully. The cross is where we can understand how God can, a righteous judge, can justify sinful humanity. It's only through the cross of Jesus Christ. If we want to know what love is and if we want to know how we ought to love one another, we must look to Jesus. We must look to the gospel. We must look to the cross. When I find in myself that my love for others is growing cold, it's because I've taken my eyes off of Jesus. It's because I've forgotten who I was before God saved me. When I find my love for others is is not where it should be, it's because I am not living in the love of God that he has for me. It's because I'm not thinking on, it's because I'm not reflecting on, it's because I've allowed the cares of this life or the situation and circumstance that that I'm in, I've allowed it to divert my attention onto that instead of the love that God has for us. If I find myself lacking in forgiveness towards others, it's because I'm not living in the forgiveness that God has given unto me. In fact, the book of Ephesians tells us that we should be kind and tenderhearted to one another, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. The only way I can forgive you is when I walk in the forgiveness that God has given me. And this is why, ladies and gentlemen, this is why the gospel is the only hope for there being any kind of reconciliation in our world. It's why the gospel is the only hope. There's all this talk about reconciliation. There's all this talk about justice and racial justice. Listen, we don't want justice. What we need is reconciliation. What we need is forgiveness. What we need is redemption. And it's only in the cross of Christ. It's only in the gospel where enemies can be made brothers. It's only through Jesus Christ when we have been forgiven by God, a debt we could never repay, and then we are called then to go and extend that forgiveness to others who have wronged us. It's ungodly to demand justice of those who have wronged us. Instead, we forgive those who have wronged us. Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The message of the gospel is forgiveness. God is the one who is in the justice business. Amen. We must look to the cross. We must look to the cross. If I do not love others, it's not that I have a people problem. If I don't love others, it's because I have a God problem. It's not a horizontal problem if I'm, if I'm lacking in love towards others. It is a vertical problem. If I'm lacking in love towards others, it's because there's a problem with my relationship with God. If you find that you do not love others, self-sacrificing, covenant love, look to the cross, look to Jesus, look to the way that God has loved you. It's God's work in my life that empowers me to love. And not a love of my own conjuring, but the love that He, through His Spirit, has poured into my heart. As I look to Him, as I reflect on His love towards me, my heart is filled with love, filled to overflowing so that when others bump into me, when others wrong me, when others rub me the wrong way, it's not that I'm, I'm, I'm getting by on life with this much of love. But no, when I'm bumped, what spills out of me is love and God's love towards them because I have been filled up with the love of God. And the only way to do that is to keep the gospel, to keep the cross in the center of our focus, in the center of our lives.